0: Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Trusting that God's got a, uh, a message for all of us this morning. I love the way that God's able to do that. He's able to gather a group of people of all different ages and all different backgrounds and different experiences and uh, He can speak to each of our hearts in a way that is unique to us. I love that about God and I believe God's going to do that this morning. If you believe God's going to do that this morning, why don't you uh, pray with me and just start to prepare your heart for what God wants to say. Father, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that you are a God who knows us personally. You know every hair on our head. You know exactly what we're walking through right now. God, thank you that you have a word for us today, a living word, a word that will encourage and build up, a a word that will draw us closer to yourself, a word that, if we obey it, will make us more like yourself. And so, God, I pray that you'd prepare our hearts right now to hear what you have to say to us. And, God, would you give us the courage from your Holy Spirit to obey your word today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you were king or queen for a day, all right, king or queen for a day, what commands would you make everyone obey? You got the chance to to make the commands for the day. What commands would you make? Maybe some of you here would command everyone who lives in your palace to clean up after themselves. No more dirty dishes in the sink, no more towels on the floor. Anyone think that maybe would be the command that you would make everyone obey? Maybe some of you, and don't do a show of hands for this one, maybe some of you would command your Prince Charming to actually be charming (laughs) and and romantic for a day. Maybe uh, your command would be to all of your Facebook friends and you would command them not to send any more fish photos. You know what I mean. You know those photos that all your friends take and they're just looking into their camera and doing this (laughs) one? The trout pout. Stop it! You look like a fish! <laughs> that would be one of the commands I'd make. Maybe some of you command everyone in your workplace to go and clean out the staff fridge. There's lunches that have been there for seven months. Maybe you'd command them never to communicate with you again until you've had your first coffee. You know, the commands that we make as king You know capture what's in our heart. Capture what's important to us. You have a look through history, there's some kings that some really weird stuff going on in their heart. You know, King uh, Romulus, he made a command that any woman caught drinking wine or committing adultery would be put to death. Blokes could do whatever they wanted. But you women, I'm sorry, if you're going to sleep with the wrong person, you might as well have a couple of glasses of wine first, because either way, you're going to die. Now King Pompilius, he worshipped the god Jupiter, god of the sky, and he made it a law that if anyone got struck by lightning, they weren't to have a funeral. They were just left there to rot because they were obviously a sacrifice to his god Jupiter. King Caligula, he had something weird going on in his heart. He really hated the, ki- the, the god Neptune So he sent his army into the sea with their swords to start slashing about to kill Neptune and then to pick up some seashells as bounty. I'm not sure what was going on in his heart. King Nero really wanted to win Olympic gold, but he was hopeless at anything athletic. So he got poetry into the Olympics. And he practiced poetry all day long. King Jason in my castle... In my castle in Alexandra Hills, I've had to make some new commands recently. We now have a family full of people with licences and cars. We have five cars as part of our family, but in our driveway, there is only space for Queen Susan's car and King Jason's car. And so I have made a royal edict No one else's car parks in our driveway in my castle. Because I actually had a moment from the movie The Castle just a couple of weeks ago, 5.30 in the morning, I'm screaming at my son through the front window, Joey, move your falcon so I can get the Land Cruiser out of the way and I can take your sister to the airport in the Mazda. (laughs) New rule, new command. No one parks in our driveway. You see, the commands that the king makes captures what's going on in the heart of the king. As we read this passage this morning that contains some commands from the king, I want us to remember that. The commands of the king capture what's actually going on In the heart of the king. You know, we've been in this series called Salvation and we've been following the exodus of Israel as God saved them from slavery in Egypt. And you've got to understand, these people for generations in in Egypt, they've been following the commands of King Pharaoh. And King Pharaoh had an evil heart. The, The commands that he made were not good commands. He commanded that the Israelites be worked ruthlessly. You know, that they, that they could be managed to be worked to the bone. And then when they were still, you know, uh, you know, thriving in number and he got worried about them, he made a command that every baby boy that was born would be put to death. Eventually they'd be thrown into the Nile. And so here's a people who all they've known is slavery under King Pharaoh. And we read right back in the beginning of the book of Exodus that they are groaning under this slavery. And it says in Exodus 2 verse 24 that God heard their groaning. He heard the cry of their heart and he remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. He remembered that he'd made an agreement. Covenant's not language we use all that often anymore. He remembered that he'd made an agreement, a binding agreement, a, a contract with this group of people. He would be their God and they would be his people. he blessed them in such a way that all nations on earth would be blessed by him. So when he hears the cry of their heart, he remembers this binding agreement. He remembers this covenant relationship that he has and he comes down to save them. And we've seen the incredible ways over the last few weeks that he saved him. He used his power to save his people. And they're now three months out of Egypt. And here's a group of people who have been saved by the power of God, but they've got no idea how to live in a covenant relationship with God. They've been living you know, under the commands of Pharaoh for generations. And so God pauses with them when they get to Mount Sinai and he gives them some commands. He's showing them how to live in covenant relationship with him. Now, what we don't see when we read the Bible in English and we weren't, you know, walking around in this area of the world, you know, uh, 4,000 years ago, what we don't see is this next bit we're going to read in Exodus chapter 19. It's actually written in the same form that lots of other kings from other surrounding countries would write when he's just saved another nation with his power. It's called a suzerain treaty. And the king who'd just saved another nation, who'd heard their cry for help, and he'd come and save them, he would write these treaties, because I've, I've used my power to save you, this is how we're now going to relate to one another. And what God is doing here is in the same format, that there's a summons from God or from the king who has just saved them. There's a reminder of what he's done historically. There's an historical recount of the way that he's saved them. Then there's some commands from the king that saved them. Then there's some blessings that go with the command that the king's just given. And then the people are gathered to accept this new treaty, this new covenant. This is what's going on. It's written in exactly the same format as all of the other suzerain treaties at the time. But the commands are different in this covenant because God's different. He's not like any other king. And remember, the commands of the king capture the heart of the king. It captures what's going on in God's heart. Let's read Exodus chapter 19. Starting at verses 3 and down to 8, it says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from a mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you. This is the historical recount. How I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This is what I've done. Notice, really important. He did this before they obeyed any commands. He did this before he had even given them the law. He did this because he already loved them before they obeyed the commands. He says, this is what I've done. Had nothing to do with you. I I carried you on eagle's wings. It was like I swooped down from heaven and I picked you up and, and I carried you. He's saying your salvation has absolutely nothing to do with what you've done and everything to do with what I've done for you. Then he says, Now, this is some commands, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you to speak to the Israelites. And then the people are gathered to accept the terms of this treaty. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words of the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. You see, the commands of the king capture the heart of the king. I want us to look at a couple of important words in, in that passage today. Let's go back to verse 5. If you obey my commands... You obey my covenant, you will be my treasured possession. You'll be my treasured possession. You need to understand that absolute monarchs in the countries around them literally owned absolutely everything. They owned the land in their kingdom. They owned the palaces in their kingdom. They owned the people in their kingdom. They were absolute monarchs. But they would have some personal treasure, you know, they kept for themselves, they kept close. They'd often keep it in their room, in their close quarters that was important to them. Personal treasure. And this is what God is, is saying. He's saying, you, this group of people, you're my personal treasure. You're, you're my treasured possession. He says, even though I own the whole world, even though the whole world is mine, You're my treasured possession. Remember, the commands of the king capture the heart of the king. What we need to understand first and foremost is that our king, our God, is a relational king. He says, you're my treasured possession. This is personal to me. You see, when we begin a relationship with someone, we learn what speaks to their heart. When we start to fall in love with someone. We actually get to know them and to work out what delights and pleases them. We do, don't we? We've all done this. It might be somewhere back in your distant past and you've you know, totally forgotten how to delight or please the person that you're in love with. But at some point, you, you, as you're getting to know each other, you worked out what delights or pleased you. What God is saying here is, I've heard what's in your heart. I heard you crying out. I heard the cry of your heart for freedom, to be saved. And I've done it. I've heard what delights and pleases you, and I did it for you. And it had nothing to do with you. I carried you on eagle's wings. Now, after I've done my part in the relationship, I'm letting you know what's in my heart. And some of the husbands in the room are going, actually, that'd be helpful if my wife could just write it down on tablets of stone for me. And I'd know what I could do. I I just know, you know, what delights and pleases her. This is what God's doing. He's saying... I know what delights and pleases you. I've done it for you. Now I'm going to show you how to reciprocate in this relationship. I'm going to show you what delights and pleases me. You see, it's really important. These commands that God has given Israel, and whenever anybody reads the Bible, as just a book of rules. Why are there all these rules? The commands that God is giving is not to restrict their new freedom. But it's, it's, it's helping them to see how to enjoy a new relationship or a renewed relationship in this case. That's what the commands are for. If we read on and we read some of these commands, you know them uh, really well. Uh, the next chapter goes on to the Ten Commandments. And God says this, uh, verse 2, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is what I've done for you. I've done my part. In the relationship now, I'm going to show you how to delight and please me. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a, say it with me, a jealous God. You'll have no other commands. you have no other gods before me. You've got to understand, this was unheard of at the time. It was unheard of for the people who have just been living in Egypt. They've come from a nation of many gods. There's a God for farming. There's a God for rain, for sun, for moon, for for lightning and thunder. There's a God for fertility. You know, there's a God for comfort. There's a God for peace. There's a God to turn to for nearly every aspect of their lives in Egypt. And this first commandment it can actually seem narrow-minded or intolerant in our culture today. Because we've got many gods that we turn to. We've we got many gods that might look different to the gods of Egypt, but we've got many gods You know, made of, of wood and stone and gold that, that we turn to, that we sacrifice for, we give our lives to. That, 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 that can swing our mood, that capture our heart. And so this first commandment can actually seem a little narrow, a little intolerant, unless we understand that God is a relational God. He's a relational king. You see, all of us in this room, we understand a husband and a wife making a covenant together to love one another exclusively in a relationship of intimacy, to love and to cherish, to death do us part, richer, poorer, all of those things. We understand that because the the marriage relationship is so intimate that it actually hurts when somebody else is involved in that relationship some of you here in this room you know the pain of one person in the relationship going and chasing after other lovers outside of your covenant relationship it hurts we kind of get it because we we understand that covenant but we don't understand the covenant that God's got with us i mean if if susan saw that I was consistently, you know, chasing after the attention and affection of another woman. If she saw that, you know, I was spending you know, my time constantly talking and texting with another woman. You know, if she saw me, you know, constantly, you know, uh, buying expensive gifts for another woman, you know, taking her out for dinner, taking, taking her to the movies. And even when I got home, I didn't try and hide it, but I, I I talked about this other woman incessantly. You know, Susan would come to me in her usual calm, angelic, spirit filled kind of way. And say, Jason, what are you doing? No, she wouldn't. She'd slap me around. She, she, she'd jump up and down and scream at me. You know, she, she, would, she would be visibly, physically, verbally upset with me because she's crazy about me. She's head over heels in love with me. And she's jealous for me. And I'd say in my usual sensitive way, what's the problem? I married you, didn't I? I told you I loved you 25 years ago. I carry your photo in my wallet. I wear your wedding ring. Actually, I don't. I I lost two wedding rings in the first five years of marriage. Lost them at footy training. I spent money on both of them. And my divorced brother-in-law came along and said, I got a spare wedding ring. (laughs) Do you want it? (laughs) I said, yes. (laughs) But don't tell Susan. (laughs) The funny thing is, I haven't lost this one for 20 years. (laughs) I say, but honey... What's the problem? And she might use a whole bunch of other words, some which I probably couldn't repeat here. But she'd say, someone else has captured your heart and it hurts. Someone else has captured your heart and it hurts. Remember the the commands of the king capture the heart of the king? What God is saying here is this, I'm your king. I've used my power to save you. I'm in a covenant relationship with you. I don't want you going chasing after other gods, other lovers. I don't want you giving your heart to other things when things go wrong. I don't want you trusting other kings when you get yourself into trouble. I want you to come to me. You see, this only makes sense when we understand that God is a relational God. And he says, command two, he says, don't make you know, any other image, don't make any idol in the form of anything in heaven or on earth to, to bow down to. You know, don't make an image of me to worship. We've got to, we've got to get this. He says, See, I understand why God wouldn't want me to make an image of him to worship. Because I, I can't create anything that looks good. I can't draw stick men. You know, I remember in second grade, I had to paint a picture of my earthly father for Father's Day. I remember sitting there with a paintbrush and, and for half an hour thinking, now, does his moustache go over his nose or under his nose? I, I couldn't remember. And the image of, I created of my earthly dad was not you know, a, a very you know, flattering image. You know, in fourth grade, I I was given some clay to mould something, you know, into an image. And I've kept it because it's the second best thing I've ever made. It's the thing, it's the only one of two things that actually looks like what it was supposed to look like, or so I thought, and it still sits on my desk to this day. I made it in fourth grade, and when my kids saw it a few years ago, they said, Dad, what are you doing with that? I said, look, I made this in fourth grade, it's awesome. And Jess said, is it a dog? (laughs) And I said, no, it's not a dog. And Caitlin said, Dad, why did you make a cat? You hate cats. I said, it's not a cat. And Joey, who I thought would have a little bit more, you know, artistic discernment, he said, Dad, that's a really cool goat. (laughs) It's a brontosaurus, people. (laughs) It's obviously a brontosaurus. Now, now, there are obviously much better artists than me that can make images of things that look much more like the real thing than what I can. But it doesn't matter how good the artist is. There's absolutely nothing that compares to, to being in the presence of a living, breathing dinosaur in all of his power and majesty and beauty. And that's what God's saying here. Don't make an image of me to bow down to, to turn your affection to, to. To I want you to have a personal encounter with my power and my majesty and my beauty. Do not worship anything else. You see, the commands of the king capture the heart of the king. My, my question for us this morning is, Has the king captured your heart? Has the king captured your heart? You see, it's only as the king that we're in this covenant relationship with, you know, captures our heart that we will obey his commands. Has the king captured your heart or are there some other things, some idols in your life, some other gods that you turn to, that you give your utmost affection to, that you sacrifice for above all other things? You know, for some it'll be money, for others it'll be career or reputation or a relationship. For others it'll be food, sex, technology, TV, bring you comfort and peace. Has the king captured your heart Or has something else captured your heart that you are actually giving your life to? Our king's a relational king. And our king is a holy king. He goes on in in verse 5, back in chapter 19, and, and he says, "...you'll be my treasured possession, although the whole earth is mine, you'll be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." You know, holy means to be set apart, to be separate, to be distinct, to be different. And he's saying, if you obey me fully, if you obey these commands I'm, 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 I'm giving you, you'll be a holy nation. You'll be different to all of these other nations around about you. You see, this Suzerain Treaty is written in the same form, but the commands are distinctly different. They're distinct. They're set apart from other nations because God is holy. And the commands that he's giving them, they're not a stairway to heaven. They're not, if you follow these commands, then you'll you'll get to heaven. God's already come down from heaven and he's scooped them up like an eagle and he's carried them on eagle's wings. Now he's saying, if you follow my commands, you are going to be a community that brings heaven to earth. This isn't a stairway to heaven. Follow my commands. You'll be a holy nation. You'll be a kingdom of priests. You're going to help people see my heart. Because the commands of the king capture the heart of the king. We need to understand it might be written in the same format, but the commands are different. Commandment 5, 6, and 7. Honour your father and mother. You might think, well, Durfred, That hasn't been commanded before. Yes, honour your father In other nations around, father could do anything. Actually, father could kill his family and get away with it. The father had absolute power. Mother, she was just a servant. But God's saying, I want you to be a holy nation. I want your families to look different. I want you to honour your father and your mother. And do not murder your brother and your sister. Some of us here in this room, we've been tempted to murder our brothers and sisters. I'm sure my sisters were tempted to murder me when I made fun of them in front of my friends. I was tempted to murder them about three years later when all of their friends showed a lot more interest in them than in me. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. is the thing you've got to understand. This is the first time in human history that we know of that it was sinful not just for a woman to commit adultery but also a man. All of the other nations around, women weren't to commit adultery, they could be stoned to death, men could do whatever they jolly well liked. God's saying, I want you to be a holy nation. So the commands of the king capture the heart of the king. He says, I want your families to be different to the nations around you. I want strong, loving, faithful families, because that's what I'm like. I want others to see, as you do that, that that's the sort of king I am. Commands of the king capture the heart of the king. If you read through a whole bunch of these commands... The people of Israel were commanded to give a tithe to God, to give the first 10 percent of everything that God had blessed them with back to God, to bless the Levites, who were the priests who in time, would, would act that would serve in the tabernacle and in the temple, and, and to, to feed the poor. When the poor came, people could be fed. That's why you had to bring a tithe of, it was a worship to God, but it was going to be a blessing to the ministry of God in, in the nation and to the poor that came in. And in Deuteronomy 15, it actually says, before I get to that, if you read all of the offerings that the Israelites would have bring, it actually wasn't just 10%. That was just kind of the base thing that they did all the time. But there were other offerings in there. You add them all up. Essentially, an Israelite farmer in this promised land flowing with milk and honey that they'd been given was bringing 23.3% of what God had given them back in worship to God. In Deuteronomy 15, it says, Israel, if you follow my commands I've given you, there'll never be a poor person in your whole nation. There'll be no poor among you. Unfortunately, it didn't happen because people were disobedient to God's commands. But God's saying, I want you to be a holy nation. I want you to be an exceedingly generous community that blesses those in need. See, the commands of the king capture the heart of the king If you read on Exodus 22, 23, the number of times it says it, it says when aliens or strangers come to you in need, do not mistreat them, do not oppress them, do not turn them away. They're to enjoy all the rights and the privileges that you enjoy. When people come to you that are different and in need, remember what it was like in Egypt. Don't do that. That's not my heart. My heart is actually to bless those in need. My heart is to welcome the nations into loving community. I want you to be a holy nation. The commands of the king capture the heart of the king. God says, my heart is to welcome all people into loving community. He says, you'll be a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. The whole nation is to do the job of a priest when we obey the commands. The job of the priest was to mediate between sinful people who didn't know who God was and a holy God who who loved these people. They were were to mediate. They would be ministers of God's grace. He's saying, when you follow these commands, the whole nation of you, you'll all be priests together. You'll be such a radical community. You'll be such a a radically generous community. You'll be such a, a radically loving and welcoming community. You'll be such a, a community that values family and builds families up in such a radical way that people will look at you, they'll see what I like and, and you'll help people who've got no idea who God is see what I'm like. You'll be a king, a holy nation and a kingdom of priests if you'll follow my commands. You see, our God is a, a relational king and he's a holy king And lastly, and thankfully, he's a gracious king. Listen to to what the people of Israel said. See, this bit I read in 19 actually keeps going for five chapters. At the end, in chapter 24, it says, Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Listen to this, it gets a bit weird. Moses took half the blood and put it in bowls and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and he read it to the people. They responded, We're going to do everything the Lord has said. We'll obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. He sprinkled blood on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. You see, if you put it into our context, this is the point when you're sitting down, making a contract with someone, and we read all the conditions, all the stipulations, and then we get out a biro and we sign our name on it, And by signing it, we're saying, we know the conditions. We know what's going to happen if we don't stick to the contract. Now, you've got to understand, this is an oral culture, not a written culture. They didn't have a biro. And so what they would do, and this was, it seems weird to us, but it wasn't unusual for the time, they'd find a way of sealing the covenant, which was actually a picture of what they knew would happen if they broke the covenant. And so they cut up animals, They died. They took the blood and they sprinkled the blood of those dead animals on themselves. Weird thing to do. whole lot easier to sign your autograph. But they're saying, we understand this covenant. We understand the commands that our king has given us. We agree. We're going to do it. And we're going to sign it or seal it by sprinkling blood on ourselves because we know if we break this covenant, we will die. We deserve death. And we all do. You see, time and time again, Israel and every other nation kept turning their back on God. And God was incredibly gracious, even though they deserved death. Once again, they found themselves oppressed by an evil king named Herod. And again, God heard the cry of their heart. And he came down to save them in a miraculous way. There's this young girl, young virgin girl named Mary. And she was terrified because she was pregnant. And she knew that she hadn't you know, uh, slept with her boyfriend. And she's freaking out. She knows what could happen to her. And God sends an angel to go and speak to her and says, Mary, don't be afraid. This baby that you're going to have, he's going to be a king. He's going to sit on a throne. It's a throne that'll never end. And he'll save all his people from their sins. And as we watch this young king grow up, we quickly realize that he's no ordinary king. See, he didn't use his, his power to wipe out his oppressors. He wasn't a political king that came and used the sword to spill blood of the oppressors, which is what the people were expecting. But we actually see that he's a humble and a kind king. And he, he loved the broken and the rejected. He loved the poor. He, he loved... The, the widows and those who were on the margins of the community. And he brought them in and he loved them. And he said to his, his followers near the end of his life, he says, A new commandment I have for you. Love one another as I have loved you. He was no ordinary king. He wasn't the kind of king who just hid away in a palace and, 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 and never understood the problems of the ordinary man. He is a king who understood what it meant to be weak and to struggle with sin, yet he's the only man, the only king that ever lived who did not sin. He, He was no ordinary king. He wasn't a king with a gold crown upon his head, but he was a king that at the end of his life had a crown of thorns pushed down into his skull and he began to spill his blood And and this king who had never sinned was nailed to a cross and his blood was poured out for the sins of all mankind. In fact, right near the end of his life, as he's eating his last meal, he he says to his followers, he says, a new covenant I make with you. He says, this is the blood of of my covenant that's about to be spilt for you for the forgiveness of many. Not just for Israel, but for all people. See, this is no ordinary king. His dead, lifeless body was placed into a tomb. Like all other kings, he was expected to lie there and rot. But he was no ordinary king. You see, this king, this king is actually a king who defeated death. This king is a king who had power more than any other king to actually overcome the grave. You see, this is a king with greater power than any other king who had ever been on earth. This this was a king who had the power to defeat the greatest enemy this world has ever seen, the enemy of death. This this is no ordinary king. You see, this king is a risen king. He did not stay dead in that tomb. This king is a living king. This king is a king who has power and authority in heaven and on earth. This king is the king of all kings. His name is Jesus and there is no other name in this world that is as well known as his name. Because he rose from the dead and is alive today day and there is no other name that has more power than the name of Jesus because he's a living king, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords of his kingdom, there will be no end I tell you, we worship a good king people see the commands of the king capture the heart of the king I want to ask you this morning Has the king captured your heart? Now Jesus the king said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Do you love the king? Has the king captured your heart? Or are there things of stone and wood and gold that have captured your heart? There's some things that you actually just need to lay aside this morning because you know you've been sacrificing to them. You know you've been turning to them for comfort. You, you know that they're the things that actually swing your mood and make your decisions. I want to ask you this morning, who is on the throne of your life? So you've got a choice. You can either sit on the throne... And you can make yourself king or you can acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the king who came to earth to save us from our sins. You see, the only way to know that salvation is the same way we've heard declared in that baptistry this morning. By putting our faith in Jesus Christ as the savior on the cross, the one who never sinned, becoming sin for us. And as the king. And from now on, we'll follow his commands. Who's on the throne for you this morning? If this morning you'd say, actually, I'm on the throne, not Jesus. And I'm just struggling my own way in my own sin. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to put your faith in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews it says, you know, we don't need the blood of bulls and goats anymore, but we have one who laid down his life for us, who spilled his blood for us. And this is the good news. We can approach his throne of grace with confidence. This morning, wherever you're at, however disobedient you've been in the past, you can come to the throne of grace with confidence and say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, you're my king. I want to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer this morning. Just asking Jesus to be saviour and king. I ask everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads if you're here this morning. And you say, I'm on the throne and this morning I'm choosing to put Jesus on the throne. I'm choosing to acknowledge Jesus as my saviour and as my king. I want to lead you through a prayer this morning. I'd love you just to say, hey, that's me. Just while everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, just stick your hand up so I can see it. Just say, I'm praying with you this morning, Jason. Who's here this morning? Just stick your hand up just so I can see it just for a moment. Today's your day to pray that prayer. Bless you. Who else this morning? Bless you. Good man. Who else this morning? You say, that's my prayer today. So if you have one more chance, just stick your hand up and say, I'm praying that prayer, bless you up the back, good man. I'll see you. Okay, I'm just going to encourage you to just to pray in the, the quietness of your heart. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for the way that I've sinned against you. I confess this morning that I am a sinner and I need you. I thank you that you came to earth to die on a cross in my place. And I ask that you would forgive me this morning. From now on, I choose to follow you as my king. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, why don't we just put our hands together, just encourage all those guys this morning. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you've made a decision to follow Christ or would like us to pray for you, please go to gatewaybaptist.com.au and let us know.